0: which is consequently the first chapter and the last chapter of Jude. And as you're turning there, I want you to think of something that we all really enjoy, and that is housing inspections before you buy a house. Don't you just love it when someone comes to your house and inspects it for you? And as they go through all the process of inspection, or maybe it's an apartment, maybe it's whatever it is, And they go in there and they say, oh, you have cracks in the foundation. Oh, you have termites or some hidden issue that you didn't know about. And so you either have to fix it or disclose it and say, hey, we got problems with this house. I know you're trying to buy a house without problems, but here they are. In the same way, we have things that threaten the integrity of our home, and that is the church. And Jude discusses it, and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to be that inspector that goes to the owner and says, by the way, you got this problem, but he has to. He says, this is necessary. I have to write to you about this. And, and I kind of go on both sides of this spectrum. There's a spectrum here, and one side is I just don't want to think about it. If you ever have a check engine light go on in your car, Sometimes you're just like, I hope it's just the gas tank thing, and that's it. I don't want to think about it. I just want to drive. Or I'm like, what could it be? And I begin to contemplate. And we have the same thing with false teachers. When someone mentions false teachers, man, I guarantee you, if you are on a social media platform or on YouTube, that gets the most amount of views because people want you to name names. They want you to call them out. They want to know who it is. And sometimes I think we have this tendency to want to be a spectator in this. And the reality is that's not what Jude is discussing here. These are well-known people that he's warning about. But on the other side of things, we have the let's just get along to get along. right? We should all just be one happy family. We should just gather together, sing to Jesus. And if you believe in a different Jesus than I do, we should just get along. But we can't do that either. And so we have to walk this middle way. And that's what Jude does. He begins to describe these false teachers. And the reason is because they are detracting from the worship of the one true God. They are taking us away from celebrating Jesus to celebrating something else. They are destroying this call to be holy as God is holy and putting on something else. And so this interference, by the false teachers, Jude begins to describe them and gives us their character and their motivations. And so, while this is written quite a while ago, this is so applicable today. And I don't know a better way to help mothers on Mother's Day than to preach about this subject, because your children are being indoctrinated by false teachers. Number one is Disney, but we won't go there. But these false teachers, the the media that they consume, the the worldview that they are getting is going to distract or detract from Jesus. Even the American dream, as wonderful as it sounds, to have a a home and a car and this and that and a happy life is a distraction from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says we need to come and die. But the American dream says, no, no. The right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the anti-gospel. So we as Christians, we, we want to live. But we want to live to Christ we want to have liberty, but we want to have the liberty to die for our lord And we want to pursue happiness, which is really holiness so Let's go ahead and and begin to get ready to look here at this passage. I'm going to go ahead and read it It's only verses 4 through 11. So we are really sprinting now You know, i've only gone one verse at a time two verses then one verse and now we're sprinting 4 through 11 But I want to read it and then we're going to pray. So verse 4 says for some people who were designated for this judgment long ago, have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Master, or Master and Lord. Now, I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling has kept in eternal chains, in deep darkness, for the judgment on the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh. Reject authority and slander the glorious ones. Yet when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they do not understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them! For they have gone the way of Cain, they have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. What a way to end that passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. What a, what a beautiful morning it is with the sun and the, the nice cool breeze and just refreshing. Lord, I thank you for this church and this, the ability that we have to sit on these comfortable seats and to worship the one true God. And we don't have to be afraid of of being killed just because we confess Christ. But we have other threats, God, and and you know so so well what they are. And we know the devil would have nothing but joy to destroy this little congregation through petty conflicts, through uh, personality arguments and the like. So Father, I pray that we would be a people that keeps the main thing the main thing that your word would be what drives us, that we would be compelled by Christ to love each other as you would have us love. Lord, that we would put ourselves to death, that we would humble ourselves under your mighty hand and, and turn to you for our source of joy, of life, of sustenance. Lord, protect our children. God, we thank you for our mothers. Uh, Lord, you know my mom working with the children, uh, giving up of her time when she could be sitting back and, and relaxing. Lord, I thank you for her hard work ethic and just how, who she is. So, Lord, I pray for the word. I pray for the, uh, David Carnes as he is preaching down in Huachuca City, that he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly to all who come. Father, I pray that your word would be manifest in this community, that this, would, this town would be transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For we know how desperately this, they need Jesus. We ask these things in the power of the Spirit, through Jesus Christ our Lord and Master. Amen. So if you look at verse 4, it's kind of like an initial warning. It's almost a summary statement of what he's about to talk So, talk about. So let's go ahead and look at it. And he's using sort of a weird, vague language. It's almost like a doublespeak. He says, for some people. Your translation may say, for certain people. This is a common New Testament method of recognizing that there are people who are doing something, but not calling them out by name. Now, the New Testament authors are not afraid of calling people out by name, but for Jude, he decides to leave them as anonymous. But for the original readers, they would not think of this as an anonymous. They know exactly who Jude is talking about. Everybody already knows who he's speaking about. And so it is possible that these are the same kind of teachers that followed Paul around trying to corrupt his teaching. And so we have these certain people, these traveling preachers, that would go around to these newly found churches. This is early Christianity, so things are very rough and ready, and it's like the Wild West of Christianity. And so there's not really established methods of transferring membership, and we just have the gospel is spreading so quickly. People are coming to the Lord. And so now these teachers are following along and they are seeking for ways to corrupt the teaching. Now, it says, for some people who were designated for this judgment long ago, now I'm going to be honest with you, this is a very difficult passage to translate and there are other manuscripts that have slight variations. So as you read through this, your translation may have taken a slightly different tone. And so, for this translation that we're using, the CSV, it says, who were designated for this judgment long ago. But the, the Greek word here is, is pre-written. It's been written about ahead of time. And so your translation may have, may say something like, uh, for some people who were written about before, for this judgment long ago, or something to that extent. It's not unique, False teachers always follow God's people. This is not a new thing. It's been predicted. Paul predicts in Acts 20 that there would be false teachers or wolves that come from among you and would rip and destroy the flock. So it's not a new thing. There have always been false teachers. There's no surprise. He is warning That this is a threat to God's people. There's always been a threat to your congregation. The character of these people are that they are sneaky. Have come in by stealth. They are like heretical ninjas. They are sneaking into your congregation. They don't walk in the front door and say, Hey, I just want everyone to know I'm a heretic. And I'm here to teach you this. No, they they sneak in. they, They get into a teaching position in the church or they find a way to kind of have some influence, or they create factions, they get a team on their side so that they can fight the other, right? They're, they're very sneaky. And so they are coming in by stealth, and they are ungodly. These false teachers have an agenda, right? This is not an accidental, like, hey, I was reading this, and I said this, and I said something foolish. No, this is an agenda. There is a there is a plan, Um they do not have good intentions, and when he says they are ungodly, he's really referring to sexual misconduct. These people are very um, sexual or sensual in their conduct, and they are they they get rid of the basic morality that the Christianity has been teaching. They don't have this un, this good intentions. So they outwardly they look like Christians, right? They They speak like a Christian, they look like a Christian, they act like a Christian generally on the surface, but underneath they have what big teeth they have, what big claws you have, right? Just like Little Red Riding Hood said to that wolf that ate her grandmother, right? They look like grandma, but underneath they are ravenous wolves. You know, the the description that, that Jude is using here reminds me of the insurgents in Afghanistan who would join the Afghan army, dress up, go through all the training, and then would go and they would shoot Americans on their own bases. This is the same thing. They are joining the club and then infiltrating the church. They go on a suicide killing spree. And these false teachers have the same agenda. They have this sensuality, this freedom from restraint, they say, feed all the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He says they are turning the grace of God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ our only Lord, master and Lord. Right? They say, well, God forgives all sin, so I'm just going to go and do whatever I want. I am free to sleep around. I am free to uh, be angry and treat people however I want. It's, it's all forgiveness, all grace. Now, I don't think that Jude's purpose in writing this letter was for us as Christians to sit around in our congregations trying to figure out who the false teacher is, kind of like a, a game of Clue, right? You know, it was the bishop in the, in the, with the candlestick, right? None of that. I, th- I think he doesn't want you to be sitting here evaluating, evaluating every word to see if there's a mistake because, honestly, I would be guilty because I missay things. Every one of us here has missaid something. I don't think that's the purpose. You know, how often do we say something unwise or that needs to, we need to apologize for? Now, if you've ever done public speaking, you know that there are verbal slips that can happen. If you ever just get bored, Google search of pastors' verbal slips. Um, there are some really embarrassing things that pastors have said just accidentally as they've been, they've been teaching. But I think Jude is warning about obvious false teachers. You know, these are people that are known in the community. Uh, These are the itinerant preachers that are going from town to town, church to church, spreading their false teaching. And their false teaching shows up most in their bad morality. They were rebelling against God. The way they were living sets the standard. Not too long ago, there was a family that I was really investing in and encouraging, and this was this was many years ago in another town in another state that you don't even know. And as I was, you know, working with the wife on social media, said something like, "Oh, my husband is going to study to be a pastor," and I and I wrote, I just kind of put like a sad face because that 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 man was committing adultery on her continually. Like this is, and it's like been married like 15, 16 times. And so I just put a little sad face like, oh, he's not Rita. And she wrote me. She's like, why, why are you putting down my husband? And I said, I said, I'm not putting your husband down, but his character doesn't match the gospel that he's supposed to go and preach. He hasn't had enough time between his conversion and his call to pass over. And then later I found out they got divorced, I guess, a couple months later. right? So we, we want to recognize that our character follows our preaching. We don't want our competence to outrun our character, right? We don't, just because someone's gifted at speaking doesn't mean that they should be up speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their, their character matters. And these people, though, were rebelling against God, right? It says they are denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. And I don't think that that was a denying in the sense that they wore a placard that says we don't believe in Jesus. But I think it was by their sensuality and their actions, they are denying what Jesus taught. And so we have that today. There are people and organizations that do not fall under any church authority, and they produce tons of material and teachers, and then they go into these churches and they ravish them, and they destroy them with false teaching. Now, I'm not saying that just because an organization has church oversight is, makes it always correct, but I, I do say that that has been a design that God has is that the local church has to have ministry that flows from it. And these parachurch organizations need to fall under the authority of a local church. There needs to be someone who knows you. A really big example of this in the last few years is Ravi Zacharias. He was a well-known apologist. Uh, He went around the world teaching apologetics and, and teaching people how to defend the faith. And he built his whole ministry around his name. But we found out later that there was no local church accountability. No one was holding him accountable. And he was going around getting sexual favors from women. And he had several massage parlors that he owned and required special favors for that. And this is a man that has gone around and really shared the faith. But he had no oversight. And we see that over and over. And, and his his doctrine was generally solid. Right? He wasn't doctrinally way off. But he destroyed, he put a black eye on the bride of Christ because of his character, his immoral behavior. So we see this here is that they're they're acting. But I don't want to go too far into application because we need to see what else Jude is saying. So let's go ahead and turn to verse 5. See how fast we're moving? Jude gives us three historic examples of false teachers and then their punishment. And they're very solemn examples. Jude is not pulling punches, right? He's not giving silly examples. He's giving serious ones. And they are example, uh, examples of biblical judgment. So the first historical example in verse 5 is that of Egypt. Now I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. Did you, you guys confused about that statement? Anybody confused? Raise your hand if you're confused. I won't embarrass you, I promise. Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. I don't know about you, but in Exodus, does anybody read anything about Jesus? So what is Jude doing? Jude, you don't know your Bible so well. I know you're the brother of Jesus or the half-brother of Jesus, but you don't don't really know what you're... No, he's doing something purposeful. Now, remember, Exodus and Egypt and the Jews being given a way of escape is a defining moment in their history. If you read Numbers 14, Exodus 32. But then Jude says that Jesus saved them. And what he is saying is Jude is using this as an illustration. Now, you can see how he's connecting the physical salvation from bondage in Egypt that God saved the people from. From Egypt and then now their spiritual salvation from the bondage of sin that Christ saved us from Jude is so for for one thing we have the Trinity and we believe that God the Son was there but the second thing that we want to point out is that Jude is here making an illustration he's making a point he's connecting the physical salvation of the Jews to the spiritual salvation that we have purchased in Christ and so he's tying these both together And pointing to the fact that we are saved through Jesus Christ. Christ has saved us from the bondage of sin. And so the people that Judah is writing to recognize that he is not saying that Jesus led them, but Moses led them. Everybody knows Moses was the leader at the time. But what he's pointing out is that Jesus is the Savior from bondage. And so he's connecting these two things. And there have been some scribes who have tried to adjust this a little bit and just change Jesus to Lord. But I think Jude is very intentional about including Jesus here. And so he's pointing out that the Israelite congregation that was there, that was in that group, they did not trust the Lord for salvation and were destroyed. Do you remember how many times a plague was sent upon the people of Israel because of their unbelief? Or their rebellion against God, man. I don't know of a more annoying and stubborn people as I read through Exodus and Numbers. Oh, we're we're so tired of the heavenly food, the bread that comes from heaven every day. We're so tired. It tastes like honey cakes. I'm so tired of it. My son, today this morning, we were driving to the donut place and said, "I don't like donuts. They taste disgusting." I'm like, bro. I've been on a diet for like weeks like I would love a donut right now but that's the same mentality right we're like oh man we're so tired of this sugar sugary deliciousness that comes from the sky that's sustaining us we want meat and God says okay you want meat i'll give you meat i will give you so much meat that you will choke on it and it will come out of your ears right he's and he give them meat he drops all the meat for them and then they complain about that and now um, we're going to see in a few minutes how they got mad at, at Aaron and Moses because they are lifting themselves up higher than the rest of the congregation. They say we're all holy. Why do you have a special place before God? But but just several days before, they were crying out and hitting the ground in, in fear underneath the mountain at Moriah, right? Like they are so fickle. And what Jude is pointing out is that these fickle people who reject god will be destroyed and it's like these false teachers they declare themselves to be christians or in the faith and they are going to be judged in the same way as those in the wilderness leaving egypt because they did not trust in the lord so just because they say with their mouth that they are christians does not mean that is true the second example we see is angels Now, Jude is likely using an illustration from the book of 1 Enoch. Now, not many of you probably have heard of that. This is a kind of like a commentary on the Moses story. And so Jews would learn a lot of these commentaries. It's kind of like a storybook about something that happened. So it's not a biblical story that he's using. He's using an illustration, just as, as if I was to say something like, in Pilgrim's Progress, Christian had to go through the, the pit of despair or the, the, the pit of despond. You guys would understand, I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm talking about a story that describes the Christian experience. And that's what Jude is doing. I know it's really confusing. Verse 6, And the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment of on the great day. Obviously, there's a, a lot of Jewish tradition that has arisen around Scripture, right? There's a lot of extra biblical writings that Jewish uh, teachers would have, and so they became really quite fanciful. Some of them are quite are almost like fantasy stories if you read them, um, and that's what we have here. Is it's an illustration from basically a commentary. And there's a, it's a commentary on Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Now, it's interesting to me that this commentary was rejected after this time by the early Jewish leaders because they were saying that the sons of God in Genesis 6, 1 through 4 that looked at the daughters of man and, and then basically left their place and slept with them and made wives of them and then later created the Nephilim, that whole story was eventually that that whole idea is rejected and that the sons of God are actually the line of Adam and Eve through Seth, not through Cain. But that's another story. There's a a natural explanation. So just know that there's this fanciful book called the Book of Enoch, and Jude is using it to make illustration, just as the same way that I would say something about the Lord of the Rings, or I would say something about an extra non-biblical book to make a point. So he's making a point. So what is the point? Well, the point is that there is judgment. So because these angels did not keep their place, which is the common language Enoch uses for explaining judgment, and they await the great day of final judgment, this is pointing to the fact that these false teachers are going to be judged. That we need to be aware that we should not follow these false teachers into their judgment. So he's like, hey, these traveling preachers that are coming around teaching these things, do not follow them because their judgment has already been written about. And our third example, Sodom and Gomorrah. I know I'm moving fast. I know it would be fun if we could open up some of these Jewish uh, fables, is what I want to call them, but these Jewish stories and talk about how it connects and the relationship. But we just don't have time in one hour and a half sermon. So just recognize we're going on to Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a final historical example, and that is Sodom and Gomorrah. A familiar story. Because of their sexual immorality and perversions, they were destroyed by fire, which is, again, pointing to the eternal fire that the last day will bring, Right, which is the same issue that these teachers are being accused of. Immorality. For any sexual intercourse outside of marriage is Immorality. And the judgment, again, is the fire and brimstone language. It's reminding us that this judgment will come upon the interlopers in the church. So Jude is using three illustrations to point out that often false teachers will be best known by how they live. All the false teachers that are mentioned in these examples are the, the people that are mentioned or the, the, the angels that are mentioned All of them have left their place where they belong to do something sinful and wicked. And that is what we have here, is that God designed the world in a particular way. And if you look at the garden narrative, he made man and woman for each other. Angels have their roles and their boundaries for flourishing. And as the train that goes on the track is the one that goes the furthest, and the one that gets off the track isn't going to make it very far. Right? And a lot of people will say, I just want to go my way. But if you are a train and you want to go your way, how far are you going to get? Right? You're not going to get very far. A train may, may chugga a choo choo just a few steps off the track, but eventually it's going to collapse. But that's how many people are living today. right? We say, well, I don't want to be restrained by the words of this, the Bible. It's too much restraint. No, it's for your flourishing. Right? This is a good thing. The train goes furthest on its tracks, and so do we humans. So when we follow God's revealed will, we function better. Now, it may seem like a lot of fun to be able to do, have sexual liaisons and go and do whatever you want, and whatever your desire is, you take it, right, the follow-your-heart narrative, and let's just pick on Disney again. right? To follow your heart or whatever your heart tells you is true, well, that's a bunch of baloney. Right? The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can understand it? Right. In fact, we don't follow our heart. We follow the revealed will of God. It's following our heart that has got us into so much trouble. And so angels have their boundaries. Humans have their boundaries. But these false teachers are teaching things that are counter to the God-given boundaries that we have. <clears throat> they live out their doctrine in a way that denies Christ. So the final description of false teachers really is more contemporary for Jude's audience. He begins to describe their character. And that's what 8 through 11 does. 8 through 11 describes these false teachers. And this final portion of our text is how we understand what Jude's application gets to. So he's using the historical evidence and his illustrations... And begins to really expound. And we're going to see a lot more down the road next week, cliffhanger. But we're going to see a little bit this morning. So he transitions by saying, in the same way, look at verse 8, excuse me. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. The first description of these false teachers is that they are blasphemers. They do the same things that the people of Israel did when they rejected God. They do the same thing that the fallen angels did when they left their place in heaven. They do the same thing that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah did when they wanted to sleep with Lot's guests. These false teachers have a particular motivation. And he starts by saying they rely on their dreams. Now, this is a term that's used positively in the New Testament. right? We talk about God having given dreams and prophecies in the New Testament for the furtherance of the gospel. In fact, Acts 2.17 and Joel 2.28, dreams are sent by God as a form of revelation. But here... It's negative. Why would that be? We know that these false teachers, these false prophets, they're claiming divine revelation either through their dreams or personal revelation. And it says it leads to this. It defiles their flesh, rejects authority, and then slanders the glorious one. Just like the angels and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah Sexual immorality defiles the flesh. He's not giving specific reasons or specific sexual activity that these false prophets are doing, that the angels and the sodomites did, but he's giving a general picture. He says they reject authority. These false teachers or false prophets reject not only human authority, such as the church leadership, but they reject God's divine authority as revealed in his word. Their dreams led them to say, we don't want to follow what's in here. We want to follow what's in here. Follow your heart theology. They didn't even have Disney. So it must be an age-old problem. The early church struggled with this reality. So, here we go. Ready for some controversial stuff that you can throw rotten tomatoes at me later. Send me nasty emails. Number one, what do we do? So the early church, God has sent dreams and prophecy and revelation in order to complete the canon of Scripture, and they have to come down to the question of how do we know if this is God's word? So we could accept all dreams and all prophetic words, right? That's the one hand. Everything I could come up in this and say, my, you know, God told me that I need to sacrifice my son on the altar of the church and you guys would look at me like you're crazy but i said god told me who are you to say no to god right so we could accept all the prophetic words and dreams or two we could reject all dreams and prophetic words out of a fear of deception and that's the that's the issue the early church has and we really shouldn't have that issue today but we do don't we second peter 1 3 His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. His divine power. Peter's talking about the word of the living God is right here. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be, listen to this, complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I personally believe that we have everything that we need in God's Word. I don't need special revelation to live my life. I don't need secret dreams and prophecies to, in order to follow my, my Savior and my Lord. In fact, we see the people that follow dreams and prophecy in the book of Revelation... They're handing their crown over to the beast. They're the ones that are going across the open Euphrates River because it dried up. It looks like a great place to cross over. And they're destroyed in Armageddon. So how do you know God is speaking to you? How do you know that this is a dream from God and not the quiche that you ate last night? right? How do you know? You don't. When when the Holy Spirit speaks in the New Testament. It's always verbal with words. There is no secret utterances. So what do we do with dreams and prophecy today? Well, I like what John Owen said. He said, if private revelations agree with Scripture, they're unnecessary. And if they disagree, they're false. So if they agree, if you have a private revelation, if you have a word from the Lord, and it agrees with this, that's not necessary. But if it disagrees with this, it's a lie. God doesn't lie. And, and I'm gonna be honest with you, this is an issue I think that's gonna become more and more prominent in the church. How do you know which of your dreams are from God? We don't see that problem in the New Testament, the Old Testament. They knew what was from God and what wasn't. There was no mistakes, it was not subjective, there was no feelings, there was no doubts. This is a word from the Lord. What about the voices in your head? How do you know if it's God? You know, it's alarming to me how many people are comfortable speaking for God. In the, in the Old Testament, if you spoke for God, if you were a prophet, and you did not speak from God accurately, you would be stoned to death. But today, we have people wandering around saying that they speak from the Lord. They got a message from God, and then they're wrong. And I'm not picking up any stones, to, but I don't want to listen to them anymore. They should never teach again. In fact, I got an email a few months ago, and I get these emails. I don't understand. Maybe you just they Google pastors, and they just send us emails. And I, he, get, he sent me a prophecy. And I said, okay, delete, trash. Then I got a second one about a month later. Oh, uh, I retract that prophecy. I made a mistake. I was like, wait, I'm to go back and read this. So I went back and he predicted like, you know, the world would be over to come and Trump would be president again or I don't know, like the next month Trump would be the president. I, I don't, it was weird. And he had like dreams of angels and fire and burning and I'm like, "Okay, cool." And then he so he wrote me that and then he said, "I'm sorry, I made a mistake, that didn't happen." So I wrote him back. And I said, "Well, you know, Deuteronomy 18 is very specific about what to do with false prophets that we need to stone them." I said, "But also, <laughs> I didn't say I was going to stone him. I said, but second, I said, it even says if we don't stone him, we are not to listen to you ever again. I said, you need to pack up your prophetic ministry. You need to repent before the living God for misrepresenting him. And you need to turn from your wickedness and find a solid church. And he wrote back and said, well, my God says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I have a second prophecy for you. And of course it was like a, Condemning me because I was a false teacher, right? Uh, because I called him out for giving a false prophecy, and and I'm gonna be honest with you, I got I I really trust a lot of men in the in the faith, but I got an email from a guy about this dream, and maybe you got the same email. There was a guy when this COVID stuff was happening, when everybody was all disgruntled with the Trump Biden election, January sixth, all that stuff and he said he had been having dreams for so many years or for so many months that this is what was gonna happen there would be insurrections and there would be masks and there'd be right and so he said you know over the last year he has been keeping it quiet because he didn't want to be a false teacher but now he's come to the open right and he's going to tell us everything and by the end of i think it was two years ago this was going to happen we were going to have a civil war we were going to have bodies in the street, tanks were going to be rolling over buildings in America and all this. I have not seen the email retraction from that man. In fact, I know he's still in ministry. So why do we rely on dreams and words in our head that are so subjective and full of doubts? And why do we speak for God? Why do we feel comfortable saying, I'm speaking for God? their private revelations i mean how many of those are false and don't come true wouldn't it be better would it not be better to just trust god's inspired word the word that is inspired by the holy spirit the holy spirit inspired if you if you want to hear god speaking read the word of god and as somebody much cleverer than me said if you want to hear god speaking verbally then read the word of God out loud right like this is the word like he has inspired this this collection here is true this is how we know what God wants in my life this is it I don't need God to tell me if I need to make a left or a right turn at every stoplight or what color socks to wear right this is the word of God this is what he how he leads us I heard a joke recently, because I like jokes, about a farmer who was looking up into the clouds and he saw a vision in the clouds and it spelled out G-P-C. You know, he's laying back on his back and looking at this cloud and he decided this is what it meant. Go preach Christ. So he left his farm and he went to preach. Many years later and many, many failures later, he dies and goes to heaven. And the farmer asks God, why did I not succeed in what you told me to do? God replies with, I told you, GPC. And he looks at him kind of quizzically. He says, yeah, go plant corn. Right? It's funny, but it's sad because we don't need special revelation to do what we're supposed to do already. We have all that we need. God is not a God of confusion. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to have you be confused as to what... The truth is, guys, I'm so serious about this. The word of God is what we need to, to make all of our decisions from. And if he doesn't want you to go that way, guess what? He'll chop your legs off. He will stop you. You will not thwart God's will. If you are obedient to what he has revealed in scripture, you will not be outside of God's will. I, I don't know how many people I've counseled where this has been the core thing. God told me I need to go to this college program and get this degree And get this. I said, God came from heaven to tell you that. And they say, yes. There's no arguing with that. But the sad thing is, it was a complete train wreck for them. I said, you have neglected your responsibilities as a mom to go and chase this thing that you said God told you to do. But God called you in his revealed scripture to do this. It's sad because I see this Confusion more and more and more. If we would just know this, you can be happy what the Lord has revealed. You don't have to know, you don't have to question. It's very clear what He's revealed in these 66 books. I've like skipped ahead in my sermon because I got so excited. So the trouble is, we do not know if it's our imagination, what we ate for dinner last night, or the medication that you're taking. Many Christians have become so superstitious that I have a hard time distinguishing between pagan animistic practices that I've seen in some tribes in Africa and in South America. That's what the pagans do. They rely on dreams and these special feelings to determine what is right and what is wrong. And that's what we have in America. Now, I want to pick on football really quick. Who here has a favorite jersey and a favorite place you have to sit on your couch in order for your team to win, right? We have superstition, right? You always wear the same underwear during the soccer season or the football season, right? Like there's certain things that we do that's so superstitious. It's so animistic. So what's the solution? If private revelations agree with scripture, they are unnecessary. And if they disagree, they are false. Stick to the sure word of God. I would be very leery if someone comes to me and says, I had a dream and this is a prophecy about the future. I would say, okay, let's wait and see what happens. And if it happens, I may, I may take your word for it. But if it's like super vague, like one person, a white man with gray hair will become the president in the next 20 years, I'm going to be like, yes, we've had white presidents for the last. So you guys get it. All right. Jude accuses the false teachers of acting on the basis of their personal revelation and then engaging in sexual activity, rejecting authority, and their private revelation, they said that what they dream about is more important than this. They slander the glorious ones. Now here we go again. Jude is giving weird illustrations. Um, We're going to move fast. This is once again an example from outside the Bible. Jude is using this book of Enoch or the Testament of Moses. In fact, we don't even know what book he's using or quoting from because we haven't found it. There are similarities, but we don't know what it is. And so... Here in verse 9, it says, Yet Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body. He did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Michael the archangel kept his position. He did not step out of his role and judge the devil. He left that up to God. He stayed within his boundaries. He's an example, a good example of what Jude is trying to point to. The false teachers in verse 10, by contrast, are blaspheming anything they don't understand. They are like animals and they are unspiritual. Instead of being wise, these false teachers and prophets are claiming to be wise, to have spiritual understanding. They're actually like animals, right? Animals rely on instinct. Animals follow their heart. They move based on how they feel. Do we not live in a feelings-driven society? I don't love that woman anymore, so we're just going to get a divorce. It doesn't matter that I made a covenant before the holy and perfect God, or I don't feel like being kind, or that person is toxic. That's a new one, right? That person is so toxic, we just have to avoid them. Jesus died for the toxic people. Jesus touched the toxic people, right? Anyways, you guys get it. Then we have three more illustrations, man, Jude loves threes. I'm going to move so fast. Cain. Cain did not rule over his own desire, but he murdered his brother. According to Jewish tradition, Cain taught others to sin as well. And that's what we see in his children and grandchildren, which led to the flood. Balaam has two stories. One, he obeys God, and he does not prophesy against Israel. But then the second time, he does, and he does it for money. So he's greedy. He has a greedy character. Moab entices um, him through money to try to convince the Israelites to sexually sin so he's an advisor to Moab who was trying to fight the Israelites to try to help the Israelites go into sexual sin so Balaam's error is proposing moral entrapment for profit which is what these false teachers do Korah's rebellion man this is a fascinating story I just read it in my reading plan but number 16 Korah comes into Moses and Aaron and says, why do you think you're so special? We're all Israelites here. We're all special. And then God opens up the earth and swallows them up and burns everybody up. And there's a huge thing. And, and, and Moses hits the ground when God says, I'm going to destroy the Israelites. Moses hits the ground and says, God, don't destroy them, even though they're, they're berating me and threatening me. And God says, OK, I won't do it. And so he destroys Korah and the rebellion. Then the people the next day are like, you're killing everybody, Moses. We're angry at you. And God's like, I will destroy them all. And Moses, once again, hits the ground, says, God, please don't do this. And God lets them live. Korah disputed authority and then was destroyed. This is what the false teachers are doing. So Jude has covered a lot of ground. I have been rushing to finish this to describe false teachers. He listed their character and their motivation. And finally, that they will be judged and destroyed. And what is the purpose because they, de- they detract from our Lord Jesus Christ, our one hope for salvation. Any attempt to diminish Christ should be rejected. There's been a massive, in the last 80 to 100 years, a massive push to emphasize the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's role, and I like how somebody has said that the Holy Spirit is the shy person of the Trinity, His his job is to point to Jesus Christ, not to himself. So when you see all these marvelous acts, is the person pointing to themselves and how spiritual they are or how empowered by the Spirit they are? Because that's not what this is about. It's about Christ. Are they pointing to the Holy Spirit and say, I have a special lifeline to the Holy Spirit? The Spirit will vomit them out of His mouth. It's about Christ. He has come to point to Jesus Christ. He reveals Him in Scripture, and He reveals Him in the world. That's what the Holy Spirit's role is, to illuminate us to understand and see Christ, to make Christ great. So anything that diminishes Jesus Christ is false teaching. Just recognize that right off the bat. That's why I have an issue sometimes with some of these personal revelations, because it diminishes Jesus Christ the sufficiency of Christ in our life. So thanks for listening to my rant and my TED Talk and my sermon all in one. So how does that? How do we live today? How, what do we do today? What's the, what's the solution? Look at your life. Is there anything that you're being taught that is distracting or pulling away from a view of Jesus Christ, the beauty of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ? If it is, look at it carefully. See what the motivation is. There's a reason why these big church pastors have jets and fancy cars, those quote-unquote healers with the broken fingers and the finger splints and the glasses, right? Never trust a faith healer that wears glasses. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's, it's easy to joke about these things because they are so ridiculous, but so many people have been captured They've been taken captive by this false teaching. Lord, I pray for discernment for our people, that they would examine the Word of God for themselves, that they would look at the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and in the life of the individual and see the beauty that comes from it, that the Holy Spirit's job is to produce right living, to produce the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that exhibit true Holy Spirit power, right living before a holy and perfect God as we magnify Christ in our neighborhoods. Lord, protect us from the deceitfulness of sin. Lord, we thank you for our mothers and grandmothers once again. What a gift they are to us in the church. In Christ's name we pray, amen.